believe that the Bible is the Word of God and that all of it is useful for teaching us, for rebuking us, for correcting us, and for training us in how to live right, so that the servant of God may be fully equipped for every good work. So let's open the Bible and let's look at it together. Acts chapter 4 verses 1 to 22. The priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the others of the high priest family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realised that they were unschooled ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them, because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Well, hello. Um, Earlier this week, I googled Mr. Average UK, and guess what I found out? It's me. I am Mr. Average UK. Um, average height within an inch, uh, average weight, believe it or not, even average shoe size. Um, I'm not average age anymore, but other than that, if you want to look at the average man in the UK today, this is it. Now, at one level, I'm quite relieved by that. It means I'm normal. <laughs> but then when I think about it a bit longer, I'm not so sure. That sounds a bit boring to me, average. If you want to get a job, 
You want to find a partner. You want to be selected for a team. You want to stand out from the crowd. You want there to be something special about you, don't you? And yet, the Bible says that it's the ordinary, it's the unremarkable things that God chooses in his work. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.27, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. You know, sometimes I think, what would my life have been like if, I, if Jesus hadn't taken hold of me? And do you know, I mean, who can say? But I don't think I was destined for a dramatic life of crime and debauchery and violence. I'm far too timid and unimaginative for that. I think rather I was probably destined for a life lived on what the writer Isabel Kuhn described as the misty flats. Just mundane, ordinary, and in the light of eternity, meaningless. And for me, this is the wonder of the gospel that God reached out across time and eternity and took hold of me as he took hold of many of you and caught us up into his purposes. And his purposes are the thing around which all of creation revolves and all of history centers on. The coming of God's kingdom, the salvation of the world, the recreation and the making new of all things. We're right at the heart of it. Remarkable. Last week we were looking at the disciples Peter and John in the days after Jesus had ascended back to heaven. And we were looking in Acts chapter 3 about these amazing events when these two unremarkable peasant fishermen were making their way to a church prayer meeting and they took compassion. They were moved by compassion for a man begging by the roadside who uh, had been unable to walk from birth And in the name of Jesus, they reach out and they perform this mighty miracle. And the man is miraculously healed. He can walk. Crowd gathers. Peter preaches this bold sermon. And the uproar that follows, Peter and John get arrested and dragged before the religious leaders to give an account of what they're doing. You know, it's tempting and it's easy for us to read that story and think, well, this is Peter and John. These are Bible celebrities. Of course, God used them. But we have to remind ourselves, this is Peter and John, uneducated peasant fishermen from an unheard of place that God has placed in the center of his purposes. We may lose sight of the ordinariness of Peter and John, but the religious leaders hadn't, which is why in Acts chapter 4, They say when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. The transformation of Peter and John was amazing. 
You know, John was not a loving man in himself. When Jesus first met him, he named him the Son of Thunder because of his quick temper. Later on in Luke chapter 9, you can read about an occasion when Jesus had to rebuke John because John wanted to call down fire from heaven onto a town just because it hadn't been welcoming enough. This is not a naturally compassionate man. And yet here he stops everything for a no-count beggar on the side of the road. And the gospel that John wrote is full of the love of God. And John names himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And the letters he wrote, the epistles in the New Testament, ooze the love of God. This is the transformation God did in John. Peter was not a bold man. He was a rash man. He wasn't a bold man. Just a few short weeks earlier, he'd run away from a servant girl, swearing and cursing that he'd never even met Jesus. And yet here, a few days later, he's standing in boldness, declaring uh, the name of Jesus and what Jesus has done. I hope this gives you great hope today. If you are despairing of yourself, if you're thinking, why after knowing for Jesus for so long am I still so unloving? If you're thinking, why so often am I timid and ashamed to own the name of Jesus when I'm in company? If you're thinking, why does my character still fall so far short of what God wants to bring about in me? Then take hope when you read about what God did in the lives of Peter and John. Paul says in Philippians 1, 6, that we can be confident that he who began the good work in us will carry it on to completion. Jesus is in the business of changing lives and he is very good at it. So take heart. What transformed Peter and John? Well, the religious leaders named it, didn't they? They said it was being with Jesus. They had been with Jesus. I think living on with Jesus every day for three years meant three things. It meant they'd seen his example. It meant they'd heard his words. And it meant that they'd known his presence. The amazing thing is that all three of those things are still available to us right here, right now. And they are the things that bring about transformation in our lives still. If we talk about Jesus' example... They'd been with him every day for three years. They'd seen his compassion to lepers, to uh, Zacchaeus, the despised tax collector, uh, to in all kinds of situations. They'd seen Jesus' compassion. They'd seen his authority over demons. They'd heard it in his teaching. They'd seen his courage in the face of dangerous men. And they saw his devotion to God as he frequently took time to be alone with his father. They had his example. We have his example too. We have it in the pages of the gospel if we read them with imagination. And we have it in the lives of the godly men and women that God places around us if we are wise to seek them out in our life groups and elsewhere. We have those examples. They had Jesus' word. As a result, they knew that they were loved. It was knowing that he was loved that transformed John so that he's able to express the love of God. He wrote in 1 John 4, 19 that we love because he first loved us. 
They knew where they were going. John, again, says this. John chapter 4. Jesus saying, I've prepared a place for you. You're going to be where I am. That gave them perspective and tenacity in the face of challenges and setback in life. They knew they had a mission. Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples. Uh, They knew he would never leave them. That He'd said, I'm going to be with you always, even to the end of the age. This is what gave Peter his boldness. And we have his word too. It's available to us, right in front of us, right now. You know, in John chapter 15, verse 7, John records Jesus as saying, if, my, if you remain in me and my words remain in, in you, that's when you'll pray prayers that are answered. That's when you'll bear much fruit. So it's having God's word. Lots of people heard Jesus' words when he was on the earth and didn't hold on to them. It's hearing Jesus' words and holding on to them that brings about transformation. Most remarkably of all, they had Jesus' presence. In John 16, 7, John records Jesus as saying, it's good that I'm going away because then I'll send the comforter. This isn't just a quality, a quantity thing. It just doesn't just mean that when Jesus was physically on earth, he could only know a few people and now he can indwell multitudes of people living on the earth. It's also a quality thing. He's saying to them, you, it's better for you that I go. Because what it means is that Jesus' presence becomes an indwelling thing, not an external thing. It means that Jesus is with us always. And we can never be separated from him. It means even in the turmoil of our thought life sometimes, we can know Jesus' presence because it becomes an indwelling thing rather than an external thing because the Holy Spirit has been sent. If you are struggling to know the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, then hear Jesus' instruction to his disciples in Luke 24, 49, when he told them to wait. That word wait carries expectation. It carries an implication of earnestly seeking. It carries an implication of being open and expectant. Get people around you. Ask and God will give you his Holy Spirit. Being with Jesus transformed Peter and John. It happened because they were with Jesus. They'd seen his examples. They'd heard his words. They knew um, they, they knew his ongoing presence through the Holy Spirit that he had sent. And all three of those things are available to us. You know, the work of God sanctifying our lives is entirely his work. It's entirely a work of the Holy Spirit. It's dependent on him. But it's one with which we must cooperate. I'm going to be back in a moment with a few friends just to explore this whole area of how we cooperate in God's transforming work in our lives. So I'll see you soon. Great. Well, I'm really pleased to be joined by some good friends in this next uh, part of our time together. So we've been looking at Acts chapter 4, verse 13, where the religious leaders, it says they, they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived that they were uneducated common men. Uh, And they were astonished and they took note that they had been with Jesus. So I've gone out and found some uneducated common men and women. And I'm so grateful to you guys for joining us. If you don't know uh, the people in front of you, um, 
This is Amanda, my wife, and we lead Everyday Sutton together. And Kevin and Emeka are elders alongside me in Sutton. And Caroline and Nana lead pastorates. And all of them do a whole load of other stuff in the life of our church. We launched Everyday Sutton together in 2016. We've got friendships which go back before that in uh, Everyday Wimbledon. And guys, I can't tell you what a thrill it is to be uh, doing this uh, time with you now. And I just want to explore this verse a bit more with you. So Amanda, I'm going to come to you first. And I'm going to just say it was being with Jesus that the, uh, the religious leaders took note of. And I'd love if you could unpack for us a little bit about what it means for you to be with Jesus. You have a busy life, uh, busy job in the NHS, a demanding husband at home, grandchildren. We lead a church together. What does being with Jesus look like for you in the middle of all that? I would say the big thing about being with Jesus, it's, you know, it's walking through my life with him. And um, but it's also about um, being intentional about putting space into my life and and making use of space. And and so that can be, you know, regular habits of making space. And um, so that's time every day um, for reading my Bible, spending time praying. And um, but it's also about making use of space that that happens along, you know, whether it's exercising um, or actually in work. Um, I might um, be concentrating on something, um, you know, maybe some caseload management and really um, open plan office. And so I just put on a Spotify worship. Um, playlist and I'm worshipping in my spirit and doing some great work concentrating I might be praying you know breath prayers God help me give me wisdom and um, with this person give me compassion give me insight um, but also um, it's actually about you know waking even in the night and with thankfulness and um, worshipping Jesus spending time worshipping making space I'm putting in pray days, I call it when I'm really busy, I, I make extra space because I, I need um, help. I get thirsty. We live in a dry and thirsty land. And it can sometimes be that my day is spent sipping from the Holy Spirit when really I want a deep drink from the well. And I just take Jesus at his word. You know, he said um, that when we drink of this life giving water, we need never thirst again. And so I do. I intentionally put in space so that I get to drink from the Holy Spirit. That's uh, so helpful. Kevin, I wonder if there's anything you'd like to add to that. I mean, equally, you are a busy guy, demanding job, vibrant family life. You and Caroline have always got people in your home. Um, and yet you always come across to me as such a calm person. Could you just tell us a bit about where that calmness comes from? Yeah, sure. Um... I mean, when our kids were little, we used to love to read them the story of the uh, wise and foolish builders. And I think in terms of calmness and strength, I think, um, you know, it's really about building on the rock. Um, I think the foundations are the sort of things that Amanda was just uh, describing, you know, mm -hmm. just spending time with him, spending time with his word, turning your attention to him uh, as you go through the day and um, being filled with his spirit. And I think, you know, Sundays can be um, like having the word, you know, hearing it and um, putting it into practice is really the day to day. Um, you know, I think knowing what God says about who he is, about who we are in him, about uh, expectations for this life and our hope um, for eternal 
uh, life that um, just that knowing him and spending time with him, those are the things that, you know, enable us to be strong and remain calm. That's so helpful. Caroline, it says in a passage about the, uh, is the disciples' boldness that they noted. And you always seem me, to me as a very bold person. I've been out with you on Sutton High Street and just been so impressed uh, in the way that you just get alongside people and talk to them and pray with them. Could you tell us a bit about what's behind that boldness? Where does that come from? Yeah, I mean, I guess that, you know, a lot of that is the Holy Spirit filling me. Um, you know, my personality, personality is extrovert, so I do love people. Um, but I guess really what motivates me is that um, God has given me a real heart of compassion, um, especially for vulnerable people, that some of that has come through my work. Um, but through my work as a street pastor, I get to see people who have really tough lives. Um, and actually many people in our community love to just have someone to talk to, some of them that don't get to speak to anybody else all week. And yeah, just in street passing, you realize that small acts of kindness are very powerful in showing God's love to people. Um, and that actually, when we take time to hear people's stories, that gives us opportunity to pray into their lives. Um, you know, the most loving thing that we can do for anyone is to invite God into their situation because he's the only one that can change them. Um, so, yeah, I, re I rarely um, get refused. Probably in the last year of, of, of being out on the streets, maybe an odd person perhaps might have um, yeah, been a bit nervous about what you're going to pray now, like in the street. Um, but generally, people are really um, up for it. And I think just the more that you practice, the more normal that it becomes, you know, when you're prompted by the Holy Spirit and you step out, it just becomes part of normal life. So just to illustrate a little story to tell you about Oliver. So in the pandemic, you know, I've been in the supermarket much more than normal, um, feeding lots of people at home and doing my mum shopping and stuff. And I got to um, befriend a security guard um, in the supermarket called Oliver. And we just have weekly little chats. Um, and um, yeah, he um, used to try and hug me or shake my hand. And I'd be like, Oliver, we're in a pandemic. And uh, he used to joke, well, I'm sanitized by God. And so one day I said to him, do you believe in God, Oliver? And we had this conversation about faith, which was amazing. And then I got to invite him to online church. Um, but actually more recently, so I haven't been in so much, but recently he came to find me in the cereal aisle and he had some really sad news. And he told me that his mother had died in Nigeria quite suddenly and that he wasn't able to go home to bury her. And my heart just went out to him. And I said, that's really tough. Um, you know, I'd love to ask God's comfort to, to come into your situation. And perhaps we can pray that you'd be able to get home. So we prayed in the middle of the cereal aisle. He was up for it and people were walking past and it was the most normal thing. And we had a few tears together and he was really blessed. So, you know, the, the key things I think are really having margins of time in your week, in your day. Actually, the gift of time is so much more valuable um, than people realise, more valuable than money at times. And that, you know, when we ask God for opportunities, he always gives them to you. Yeah, it might be scary, but he'll always That's give brilliant. them. That's and so good. Often what we're doing is, you know, we're sowing seeds um, and God is always at work um, behind the scenes. 
Thank you, Nana and Emika. I love the way you talk about compassion behind your boldness, Caroline. Nana and Emika, we've known each other a long time and um, I've seen you exercise extraordinary courage in some really tough mm. circumstances of life. I'm thinking particularly in the events around the birth of your first son, your oldest son, Micah. Would you mind telling us a little bit of your story and a bit about where that courage that we saw, that boldness came from? Yes, certainly, David. Um, it all started at the 21 weeks um, pregnancy. Um, we went in for the scan and the doctors noticed um, swelling on, on Micah's forehead, on his, um, uh, on his neck and uh, on his nose. And they also um, noticed that he was extremely small at that stage and he wasn't receiving blood the way he should have been. Um, and they were very concerned about the viability of the pregnancy. Um, they didn't think he would survive. So they talked to us and um, they said that we should consider abortion. Um, you know, they said we're young and we can always start again and, you know, perhaps have a normal child. Um, and, you know, abortion for us didn't fit in, didn't align with our Christian values. So we declined. Um, but of course, we're very, very worried about, um, about the health of our child. Um, and one day, I had we had a dream um, and in that dream um, God gave us a dream and in that dream um, I was holding this baby with beautiful beautiful curly hair and that dream gave us so much peace and um, and it helped it reminded us that God was with us um, throughout the pregnancy and fast forward eight years later Mike is here with us so um, we just praise God for it. No it's definitely been a <laughs> an amazing journey um, I think actually for us, it really started before Micah was born. Um, if anything, I'd say it's probably a byproduct of spending time in God's presence where he actually revealed his word to us and he gave us promises. I mean, for me, it was where God wanted to move us away from being crisis Christians. And this is really by praying and spending time in his presence and actually seeking his word. For me, it always boils down to it's a matter of trust. Do you trust God? Do you trust what he says in his word, in his Bible? And do you trust what he says personally to you? And actually, to what extent? I mean, being told that your, your child wouldn't survive, it actually challenged our ethics. I mean, for the consultants, during that consultation, they saw two young, healthy adults. I mean, they could try again. But to God, he saw a life worth living. And that actually prompted us to the Bible in Exodus 20, verse 13, where it says, Thou shalt not kill. So right now I can say it's actually moved us away from becoming outcome-based Christians to ones that actually focus more on living each day with God's presence. Thank you so much. Thank you, all of you, just for sharing a bit of your lives. Um, mm. I'm sure if you're watching this, you've found that encouraging and helpful. I just want to encourage you, these guys are in your church if you're part of Everyday Church. You can talk to them. Yeah. And you've got other people equally uh, helpful in your venues. So uh, thank you guys for, for joining me today. And thank you for watching. Um, God bless you.